Hello and welcome to Conversations from the ANF Network. In this episode, I speak to Black Sheep, a transracial adoptee and adoptive parent. She shares her experience of growing up in a white family, the challenges and joys of reunification with birth family, and her own experience as an adoptive parent. She also shares her perspective on transracial adoption and the issues of race that are unaddressed within the adoption system. As always, if you've experienced of adoption or fostering from any perspective, be that personal or professional, and would like to share that on the podcast, please get in touch through the Facebook page, Twitter, or you can email us at andfpodcast at gmail.com. I go as a pseudonym, Black Sheep. Um, many follow me on Twitter, which is great. And the reason I'm Black Sheep is I'm literally the Black Sheep of my family. So adopted in 1970, um, Black child into a white family, and we lived in a entirely white community. So I grew up as the only Black child in every school and found that I actually felt like a white child. In fact, legally, in the census, I am white until I'm 16. Um, whether my adoptive mum felt that it was no one else's business or decided that she really didn't want to fess up to something quite so surreal. Um, either way, it didn't sort of hit me until I became an adult and started learning about my missed heritage and my missed culture. And then it really did bother me quite a lot. Um, somebody said to me recently, just to say on Twitter that a lot of adoptees who are transracial are adopted by a white savior in terms of it's all very what we've done you know aren't we amazing and yet they haven't addressed their own unconscious bias and their own subtle racism that they've grown up with um and in an extended family as well so you know i do get involved now in looking at the issues around transracial adoption and how it can actually have a long lasting damage to children um i had a good childhood i would you know say that i didn't but I don't remember ever feeling that I fit. You know, yeah. there, there was never a feeling that I actually belonged to anyone around me, really. And like most black children in a school, you migrate to another black child. So my best friend was mixed race, because that was like almost a safety in numbers kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so when I was 18, I decided it was time to you know, find out why I was giving up and what was behind my adoption. And at that point, I had no clue where I'd come from, apart from the city I was born in. So as any sort of child of curiosity, I was going through all the sort of bad boyfriend and all the rest of it. So I was shipped off to <laughs> grandparents who lived near where I was born just by coincidence and an uncle did take me touring around all the sort of last known addresses and all the surreal things that had gone on in my past and it was very disturbing to be fair and luckily at that point I didn't find the answers that I was looking for because I would have been in some danger yeah. in terms of sibling activity at that time. Fast forward to having my own child uh, and it hit me like a sledgehammer that this was the only other person I was related to biologically that I knew. 
and she would have questions as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I decided to again, and by now I was in my late 30s. So I thought this is time to knock on the head the kind of malaise around my birthday. And yeah, I was going to ask that's a that you've skipped over almost 20 years there, haven't you? Because I think when you're sort of 18 and you're you know, you're involved with first relationships and further education and learning to drive and all these different things. Nothing really stands out as um, momentous, and it didn't. You know, there was there was nothing really sort of emotionally unhinging, or and social media wasn't around in those days, so I couldn't even claw into how other adoptees felt about different things, and it was just too busy. And then. Truth be told, I never sort of focused on myself. So I think, you know, that was one of the key issues for me. My dad was sick. My mum became his carer. There were all these different things yeah. that took away from me focusing on what I needed to know. And I always thought, I've got plenty of time. You know, I'm young. There's, there's time for me to find all these things. And then you start realising, actually, people die. And you might not have plenty of time. Yeah. So you kind of should be doing it now. And that's what I say to all adoptees, don't put it off because there's nothing sadder than missing someone by a month or a year or whatever. So, you know, I felt at that time with my own child that I needed to get the answers, not just for me, but for her. And my adoptive mother was on side. As far as I was concerned, she was supportive. I told her I didn't think it was right to be dishonest and do it behind anyone's back because I wanted to be up front I wasn't looking to hurt anybody I just wanted my answers she was very much oh yes you know you should do this I understand um so I went through the process got my adoption file and that was an eye-opener and that's when things started to change between me and my family because they realized that I was going to do this do you know what I mean this was going to happen yeah. this wasn't just a pipe dream this was something that meant something to me and I'd never felt within my sort of sibling group that my voice was really heard you know I'm not intellectual I'm straight you know what I mean I say it how it is they're in introvert so there's nothing really in common and when I do speak out you know it was almost like my whole family would be like you know should you say that in public I mean should you share that yeah whatever you know and I felt that I had the support, but actually when it came to it, my adoption files in front of me and my parents and my adoptive mother says, you shouldn't have this information. This isn't yours. That's mine. Wow. And words of the effect to say, you've broken this now. This wasn't meant to happen. I said, but it has. And Google being Google, and me being me, it was going to happen. And I don't understand how you can say my personal information from pre-adoption is yours. In fact, it's the only thing that I can say is categorically mine. So we started having these strange kind of disagreements about it, which obviously yeah. just really hurt me. And, you know, and I said, look, you have to realise that I love you and there's nothing to take that away. But actually, I came from a different place and I need to know what that place is. Anyway, so that went on. And 
then eventually I did find her. And my husband drove me up north to meet her. And it was the most amazing, surreal day. It was just like meeting a sister or an old friend. Mm. And, you know, there were tears and laughter and catching up. And she sort of dragged me around all the black hair shops to buy me stuff that she'd always wanted to buy a little girl. And she's not got much money, you know. So I was like, you need to buy me hair glosser. I don't need it. She's like, no, 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 you should be using it. Oh, okay. So she'd buy me this, you know, cook me spicy chicken and, and all these sort of things. And didn't really hit me until I was on the way home um, that Christ massive. This this was humongous. And I remember driving to see her and everyone was messaging me going, you know, good luck. How do you feel? How do you feel? And I was like, I don't know. I can't express how I feel. It's it's no, There's no emotion I've ever had like it. It's everything. Yeah. It's fear, it's shock, it's excitement, you know, it's sadness. It, it was just all rolled into one and there's no word for that emotion. Yeah. And I think any other adopter can say the same thing. There is no way to describe it. Um, and obviously the blues that hit after I left her and came back to my life was really hard to come back from because it was like I'd stepped into a world all new and not exciting, but new and needed to be explored. And then I had to step back out of it. Yeah. So I thought a few days when I took my child to see my adoptive mother. We had lunch and we took my dad out for lunch. She was quite infirm by now. So she was very preoccupied in, you know, caring for him and his Zimmer frame and all this type of stuff. But there was an edge to her. I could sense that she was like sharp. And after the lunch, I said to her, well, just so you know, I met her. And then it exploded, literally exploded. And it was probably the most traumatic day of my entire life because I was told that had they not got me, um, they could have had their own natural child. And how ungrateful am I and I've opened a can of worms and you don't know where she's from, you don't know what she's after, blah, 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 blah. And it broke me. Mm. And I remember my daughter running in and out of the two rooms to her granddad back to me, not knowing what the hell to do. She was about four. And she could see and sense that this was not right. This was, mummy was crying, what, what the hell? But I got it. But the words stung like hell. And it is true that your tongue is sharper than a knife. And the things yeah. that said cannot be unsaid and basically made me feel outcast, if I'm honest. And we've struggled with our relationship ever since. You know, I'll always love her and I do love her, but she hurts me all the time. So it's really difficult for me to kind of I mean, my therapist, when I went to see him first, because she actually did say to me, you need to get yourself some therapy so that you can see how you've hurt me. And it took me a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting my head around that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if that's not narcissism, I'm not sure what is, but it was one of those, hey, but it was, you know, I didn't, <laughs> I did need therapy because of that and because of, loss and bereavement and all the other emotions that adoptees feel but that made it worse because that was like another loss mm. you know I'd broken it 
there was something I'd done and I should be shamed and you know and it was really hard for me to not forgive but to forget enough to carry on with the relationship because at one point I remember saying look be careful what you're saying because I just walk take my daughter and never see you again and that's you know not what I want to do and I didn't do that because I empathized with her fear that she was going to lose me but nothing I have done since has been any different to how I would have been had I not even been adopted so but I still have subtle punishment and digs and and if I fast forward, you know, it would have been something that my dad should have probably stepped up and said, whoa, what is this? I'm going to make a cup of tea and diffuse it. Yeah. And I remember when I did see therapy a few years later, I said to my therapist, right, well, my mum's a narcissist. And he was going, well, I haven't diagnosed your mum, so I can't really, you know, and I haven't met her and I, I wouldn't like to say blah, blah, blah. After three sessions, he said... Right, so going on the basis that your mum's a narcissist, it's <laughs> like, yeah, because I, I was thinking about that that that, that sort of starting point when the kind of the veil fell down. The you know, when she said, mm-hmm. oh, that, that's my information." At that point, that's when I came um, out. And yeah. I, I just, it's almost like a. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a therapist. I'm just hypothesizing from, you know, normal human thinking that it feels almost like every bit of you is owned. No, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I had no right to Your do this. property, yeah. Yeah. Once And she actually used those lines, you know, once we sign on a dotted line, you are ours. You know, you weren't meant to do this. You, you know, you're not meant to think yourself, you know. And that is really hard because I always think of myself. And that's made it harder for the relationship because certainly now I just say, no, nah, you're wrong. You know, and there's things that you learn about people, even if you raised with them or you love them, that can be quite disturbing. I mean, certainly, you know, after lockdown and the Black Lives Matter situation, that hit me really, really hard. I needed a lot of Skype therapy during that. And I had to have discussions with my mum because it was really affecting me. And I, I wanted to know her take. And you know what she said? Taking the knee, I find that offensive. So I said, so would you prefer, and I, you know, I'm open to having discussions and understanding people's point of view, but there comes a point when you're just like, nah, man, you know. But I said, would you prefer the fist? Because that actually would make a lot more sense at the beginning of a football match, to me. Why is it offensive to you? Because it's like genuflecting to a god. I said, it's not that at all. That's that's not what it is. If you're if you're gonna object to something then search it and understand it but don't tell me something's offensive when you're talking to a black child oh i've gone funny um you know no, and- it, yeah and it but it just made me it makes me think about then like you say you reframing all of your earlier life through that lens because oh. it, it wasn't though that it, you know i'm again i'm it's not here to kind of just do your mum, your adoptive mum down, but it, it make does it kind of make you sort of then reflect on the, the sort of the, the the thirty years beforehand, and and yeah. and make sense of well, hang on, even the issue around the census, mm. that how you were perceived, how you were, 
how you were permissioned to be part of our family yeah. what were the conditions that, that weren't yeah, necessarily there, implicit there were many conditions and I stepped out of mine a lot yeah and it was at the point when I felt what why did you adopt you know because there are questions around adoption and yeah what leads people to adoption and I think a history of some miscarriage and all the rest of it but I was always led to believe that it was there was an article in the paper that said you know all of these black and ethnic children need homes you know please can people step up that was back in the 60s which is great but that leads to the kind of we rescued you mentality um whereas had they not adopted me probably somebody else would have you know, or would yeah. they have thought longer and harder as to the impact of their, on them of having a black child? You know, I, I remember a story when I was a baby in a pram and there was a lady, an old lady in the village that we lived in, again, a white village. And she looked in the pram and she just looked at my mum and said, she's a bit dark like this. And then from then on, this woman absolutely adored me, gave me sweets and books and everything every weekend. But it was those things that probably affected my mum more than she realised. Yeah. Because she's very introvert. She doesn't want to stand out in a crowd. She doesn't want people to look at her. It's all about how it looks. It's very Mrs. Bouquet. So for suddenly a black yeah. child to, you know, let them do interviews. I did an um, interview with the local press for a national adoption many years ago when I was doing a mother and baby show this when I worked in that industry and I was raising money for families for children which is a charity local to me and I remember showing her the article really proud you know please as punch it was called love is colorblind that wasn't my title that was the the journalist yeah all she she just went well they've they've put the wrong surname for you that was the only comment she made Nothing about how I'd loved my childhood, been raised well, and all these different things. She looked for something that was an error in the grammar. That's, you know, and for me, I was yeah. just like, oh, okay. And I didn't really think much of it. But ever since then, any sort of levels of achievement have been pretty much dismissed. And that's really tough when you've got two very intellectual big brothers who are very close to each other, mm. you know, university, ologies coming out their ears. You know, I've been as successful, but not in a way that they yeah. understand. So, you know, and, and that's pretty tough. And like you say, I think the narrative of my childhood comes into focus for me when things like that are said. Or, mm. you know, I mean, I remember even now, I mean, I'm in my 50s, she'll still remind me that I wasn't expected to have so I was sent to a different school. And that, again, feels like I was othered. Just, it's, you know, whereas, yeah. and I'm not blaming, and I'm not sort of trying to shame. I'm just saying that people who adopt, they can't help themselves generally from othering that child. However, I have adopted a child. And I tell you, he gets as many bollockins as the older one who's natural. He's a menace, but he's adorable. And we make a point of treating them exactly the same. Yeah. You know, often I forget that he's adopted. 
but he knows yeah. he is. You know, he's only sort of seven, but he knows he is because he understands that I didn't come out of his granny's tummy. Because how could I have done? I'm a completely different colour. Yeah. So when I say, and you didn't come out of my tummy, because blah, 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 blah. So I want to make sure that he's raised with a 100% confidence that being adopted doesn't make him other. Yeah. And that's, you know, something that I would want to stand up in front of all the workshops in the country and say to everyone who's planning to adopt. Because, you know, I'm in counselling now because of that. And it sort of highlights maybe a fundamental challenge that is well, a fundamental obstacle in transracial adoption in that you you can't, you know, you probably your parents are encouraged to be colourblind um, mm. and, and walk along that. But actually every time you leave the house, that is then yeah. denied because, you know, a black because child holding attacked. the hands of two two white parents everyone yeah. people are curious uh-huh. and they will join dots and they'll make up stories but it demands a question so a child can't you as a child maybe you know maybe nothing was said often but people would mm-hmm. have always been thinking well that's a bit unusual yeah yeah, what's, yeah. What's she, the story doesn't, she doesn't there? belong <laughs> yeah and so you are constantly being othered mm. yeah exactly so and then it's quite sad when you feel that in your environment. Yeah. You know, I remember we used to go to Germany um, because I had an uncle who was in the forces. And back then, and probably now, it was massively racist over there. And I would take a lot of abuse and it would just be ignored by the white family around me because they were just like, what's going to be us? You know, and I'd say to her, like, now, why did you keep taking me back? Because it was disturbing for me every time I went. She said, oh, yeah, but you had a good time with your cousins. That was it. So it's, it's those things that kind of, I will never go to Germany. You know, it's one of them yeah. that you just kind of go, right, that's never going to happen. Um, since I found my birth mum, you know, obviously a whole world has kind of opened up, not only on her side, but on my birth father's side. So I found her through, I mean, if you read my book, you can see very convoluted ways that kind of worked. And at the same time as finding her, I had a message through Deans Reunited on my birth name file. There's no yeah. point searching if you're using your married name and stuff. And it was basically, oh, I believe I'm your sister. We share that this was literally within a week of finding my birth. We share the same father been looking for you for years can you confirm that you are this person blah 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 and of course I was blown away because I was like deal with this out at the same time um but I said I'll get back to you which is the biggest mistake I could make at somebody and numbers have changed everything's different yeah um two years later I tried again the number that had been left and so this is my birth father's daughter. And the number was dead. So I thought, mm, yeah, I'm going to have to find her. Now, without naming names, she has a name that is super famous. It's not the famous one of this person. Right. But of course, it made it really difficult to find her. She was not going to come up on page one of Google. You know, she would be probably 
paid five million. You know, it was ridiculous. <laughs> so I was like, oh, so I went into Facebook as you do, and I looked at all the names. All I knew was from London. So I looked at all the names that matched, and it was probably about five hundred. I was like, this is not going to be easy. So I went through process of elimination, age, colour. That was a help. Um, that's if they had photos. And one particular photo was just of a guitar. And I thought, okay, well, I had thought that maybe my birth father was in music along the lines. And maybe this person has followed in the footsteps and contacted her through the other chat. Three years after that, I got a message saying, I've just cleared out my chat and it is me that you're looking for that contacted you, blah, blah, blah. And that night we spent two hours online chatting. So my sister found me, lost me, and then I found her. So very surreal, yeah. very, very surreal. Yeah. And it turned out that she was raised by my birth father. Um, and her little sister, so my other sister, said to me fairly recently, don't think we were special. We were just left on his doorstep. That's why we were raised by him and biological nanny, who I'm told is very like me, looks like, looked like me, same sort of mannerisms. And all of my siblings kind of look at me like this kind of reincarnated <laughs> nanny that they, you know, lost. Um, and we met me and my sisters for a spa weekend, like do. And we're all different shades. And it was very sort of um, long lost families, you know, like yeah. a very large drink before they walked in kind of thing. And we were all sat in the jacuzzi. And I remember there were other people there and they were saying, oh, how does everybody know each other? And blah, blah. And, and I said, oh, we're sisters. They're like, oh yeah, we can tell. And I was like, oh really? And I said, yeah, we met today. They were like, oh, my God. Okay, so obviously we came to terms with the fact that we'd always kind of reunite at some point, and they always say they were just waiting for me. They all knew about me. They were just waiting. Mm. Um, so now, you know, we're really, really close. We just had a sibling holiday, you know, which was amazing, and it's like I've always had them in my life. So I do still have to wear two hats. I meet with them. My daughter's really into, you know, the culture and the music and everything. So she stayed with them, you know, and and I'm really, really happy that yeah. I'm part of that biology. But the only but I would say is I've got a sadness that it's affected my upbringing and my adoptive family dynamic because yeah. I feel I feel quite outed way although I make an effort you know there was so much said that I can't kind of shake it off and go back and I've grown I'm, I'm not the same person yeah my mum sort of says oh I want my little girl back yeah you want me to be compliant and you want me to say nothing and be honorable yeah but that doesn't exist anymore she's she's gone yeah yeah she's, Can I, she's uh... Sorry, I was going to say, um, can I ask uh, sort of a question? Because I'm in the midst of all that, I'm sort of thinking if I was listening to this as an adopted person, I'd be thinking, 
yeah, that's a, that's a really common narrative. But mm-hmm. then the step for you to then go on and adopt. Mm. Is there a contradiction there or, or how do you reconcile your experience versus what, well, you know, I'm, 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 I don't want to put I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously I get slaughtered as soon as I say I've been, you know, <laughs> adopted parent. Um, yeah, I think kicked out of the gang. <laughs> exactly. But basically for us, we tried for 10 years for another child and it didn't happen. And my honoring my adoption. So my appreciation of, you know, how, yes, I would have had a fairly traumatic life had I not been adopted was one of the focuses that came into play for me to adopt because I imagined the life I would have had had I not been adopted and I knew this little boy would have had a very similar quite traumatic upbringing life had he not been wouldn't necessarily be us that adopted but he was put up for adoption because of that and you know my heart goes out to the birth mum and I always make a pledge to myself that we will find her when he understands the impact of that Mm. and I don't want anyone who sort of is against adoption and says adoption is a system that you know ruins people's lives to necessarily think that I 100% disagree with that I think the motivation of the adopter has to be really really scrutinized um if it's a we're going to rescue this child from an upbringing xyz i would always say check that they could be brought up by a family member or you know in this instance that was attempted with his sibling and that broke down um you know it was almost like the sins of the parents affect the birth mother yeah. and all this type of thing so her children would be as much in danger so yeah it sounds like I'm turning it on its head, but actually my motivation to adopt is because I was adopted, if you like, rather than to save a child. I wanted to think it is a good thing and we can give this child a really good life. So in terms of your online voice and what's been the response to you? And, you know, you're obviously now trying to raise awareness in terms of race and ethnicity and you, mm-hmm. I've seen you, you sort of speak into those corners of the world and what are people you know what's people's responses to you um well I think obviously I wear two hats but I do sort of defend when there are narratives of you know down with adoption and adoption should be banned and and all the rest of it I do sort of pipe up at that point and some people basically shun me which is fine and other people go, yeah, and you're an adoptee. That's that's wow, you know. So it's hard for people to kind of dismiss my point of view because I've seen it on both sides. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm also, as you know, quite heavily involved with focus groups that are looking yeah. at why people adopt and you know their motivation. Certainly, in transracial adoption, I think it's not necessarily a great thing I you know I will honestly say that my little boy is mixed because we're a mixed family and when we sort of sought adoption it was oh yeah there's loads of those about you know it was very much like you know you got your pick (laughs) whereas if we were you know standard white anglo-saxon 
middle class family, it would be like, oh, you know, you'll have to foster to adopt. You're not going to get a baby. You're get, you know, so that in a way was like, yay. And also, wow, that's really sad. Yeah. But I think there is facts we've heard, which are the black and ethnic minority children and those with disabilities and those with, you know, known issues will sit in the system for longer and maybe even, you know, age out through fostering. So that's me, anyone that will argue that I've done something bad, I just go, yeah, okay, if you could see this little lad, he's the happiest, most spoiled boy in the world, um, and yet he feels completely normal. You know, there's yeah. nothing in his mind that says, I don't fit, this is wrong, this is my sister, this is my mum and dad. You know, he's ballsy, he's bright as a button. He doesn't have any self-conscious, you know, I'm adopted mm. bias. And no one, certainly he's at primary school, so nobody's going to give him that. But as he ages, he's not going to stand out in a crowd like I did by his adoption yeah. so i think I'm not saying only adopt within your culture because unfortunately that is the issue you know black and ethnic minority adopters are very thin on the ground whereas black and ethnic minority children are on masks so yeah. i don't know what the answer is but i do think education as to if you're going to take a child that is not of your culture you have to make a pledge to embrace their culture. Yeah. However uncomfortable it might be to your own conscious bias, if you have that conscious bias, don't do it. You know, that that's the message yeah. that I would put out. Because th that is really interesting because I've, um, I've sort of heard some of those discussions and one of the things that I, I thought was fantastic and I can't remember the, the, the man who said it, um, he's an academic from Leeds University, um, and he talked about the, the actual impact of transracial adoption on the adopters' fa wider family, and mm -hmm. sort of you know the idea of that actually everyone in the family needs to be on board in terms of that, mm -hmm. and have a you know like you say in a way that perhaps isn't necessarily for a sort of a adoption between as you say people with who reflect one another's ethnicity and mm -hmm. culture, and um, and so that actually is it. And are we, are we in a situation where, you know, a nice white couple, I'm going to go on to gross stereotypes now, a nice white couple um, are approved to adopt, wait a long time, and then they're offered a mixed child or a black child because they've waited a long time, the child's waited a long time. But actually the assessment they've gone through is just, um, you know, is just the standard assessment and hasn't necessarily looked at, in any depth, or, or maybe there's been a supplementary assessment, but it's not gone to panel. And is that, are those issues that do you think the system's looking at, and is it stuff that you you've been sort of involved with? Yeah, that that's basically what I think should be going on in terms of workshops and process. It can't be standardised; it has to be almost personalised. So, if there is an option, and you know, tick the box that would accept a child of an ethnic minority, you should go on maybe a specific journey of learning before yeah. you can go to panel for a child because a lot of the unfortunately some of these 
panel members, if you like, have their own unconscious bias, which yeah. may even reflect at your panel judgment as to would would you be able to cope with this child and you know and all the rest of it. So if they're prepared in advance with answers for those sort of questions, then they're going into it with all the tools and all the support and all the knowledge that actually this child will need to know where they're from yeah. and why they're different from you and to be able to feel whole. I mean, I remember um, when we went to panel with my little lad, um, obviously he was a baby at this time, and the lady who was running the panel, bear in mind there was obviously me, my white husband, everybody else around the table was white apart from an Asian doctor, the medic. And this lady said, um, just so you know that um, baby may not have had an experience of seeing um, black faces. So it's possible that when he sees you, he'll freak out. And there was an audible gasp around the table, particularly from the medic. And my knee was being squeezed within an inch of its life by my other half <laughs> to keep my mouth shut. And when we came out, both social workers were like, I'm really sorry, cannot, you know, yeah. you know, if you want to make a complaint, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, I don't, but wow. Yeah. You know? And my answer actually at the time was, if that is the case, then that is on you. Because his background yeah. is black and ethnic. And if he hasn't even seen that presented to himself, as a child, then you've got answers. Well, yeah. you Where's your due diligence? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that shocked me. And that's one of the reasons why I want to get involved, because I just think if it's at that level, the unconscious bias is affecting adopters, that could have put us off. It wouldn't, because I'm me. But it, a lot of people go, oh, my yeah. God. You know, what if he hates me? You know, and all this rubbish but yeah which is an awful thing that, to put in a, into someone's mind yeah and and mm. i suppose then that that raises the bigger question of the workforce that the workforce has to be reflective of the community it's serving absolutely yeah absolutely if you're presenting a black child to a black parent and there's no one around the table that reflects you you know reflects them then there's something really wrong in that that situation i think yeah because you yeah, how can you have an in, in how can, yeah, how how can you have an informed say? conversation yeah. about that? Yeah. that? The experience of what that child needs and mm. what that yeah. child's experience of growing up will be. Exactly. When you have, there was all all this stuff about, you know, what percentage of ethnicity is there gonna be in his school and blah blah blah. And you know, my husband piped up and said, Well, my daughter's gone through that school. And there's 95 children in that school and at least 20% are of some ethnicity. So he'll be fine. Those are yeah. them. But it was the presumption. And I think, you know, all the time the conversations were going on, I was thinking, well, we are doing the best this situation again. You know, he needs to be taken out of it. Yeah. Pronto sort of thing. So coming to the end i've used up lots of your time um okay. uh, what what does what are your where are you looking towards in the future what are you aiming for in terms of you know you're you're a, you're a mum you're a campaigner um 
what what does the future hold for you? Where are you aiming? Um, well, my next exciting thing that I'm doing is having my book made into Audible. Um, cool. So that should be able to launch at the latest, I'd say, sort of November. So I've just signed up to do that and I'm excited. I hate the sound of my own voice, so I am paying someone else to do it for me. Um, but I'm quite excited to be able to extend my journey in different forums. Um, you know, it's hard copy and it's ebook. But I think Audible is the way forward. I can't lift a book. I listen. So I think a lot of people will do that. Um, the last couple of years have basically been a roller coaster in terms of loss for me. And I'm sort of coming through that now. My mm. father died the year after lockdown, and he was probably my biggest cheerleader. And my birth mother died this year. So after 10 years of knowing her, I do feel a bit like an old man, like. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things, if it don't kill you, you know, it'll make you stronger, I suppose. <laughs> That's what they say. Um, but, you know, I have sort of aspirations to really dig deep with the adoption focus groups and make sure that my voice is heard. Because lived experience is pretty much the only way forward for adoption. It's not... Yeah. From lived experience it's from assumption and there's no way anyone who's not been in your shoes can walk the talk you know and i think a lot of the narrative around transracial adoption just needs to be tweaked yeah. you know there needs to be kind of the voices of people who have missed out on heritage for 40 odd years and now you know almost I'm learning as a child the language that my own siblings use and mm. you know I read something the other day that somebody was saying you know they'd never had rice and peas and they were like 50 you know or salt fish and ackee and that's like weird food you know when yeah. you're growing up in a white family so for my my daughter even she'll say oh, God, mum, you know, that's not what that means. You know, because she's more sort of down. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, at 17, she's going into, like, wireless festivals and things like that. So she'll sort of say to me, oh, God, that's so white, mother. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. You know, so basically, I just want to be rising above the crap that you get on Twitter when people don't understand you <laughs> and just live my life. I mean, you know... I work for a, a charity now, um, part-time and do my own side hustles and stuff. But doing that in itself has probably saved my mental health quite dramatically. Um, you know, I took that role soon after lockdown, you know, just before my father passed. And he was obviously involved with sort of hospice care, if you like. So that makes a big difference. And... I'd say to any adoptee that is thinking of searching for birth family, definitely do it because I finally, I belong. Mm. You know, I have siblings that weirdly, just little things, you know, I'll go up on the train and they'll pick me up three of them in a the car and they'll all get out of the car. And I'm, what are you doing? Where are you going? And they go, we're going to give you a hug. And for me, that's just like, oh, my days. That's so nice because <laughs> I don't know that. You yeah. know, I've not known that growing up. I mean, we hug, 
as a family, but it's kind of like, okay, I greeted you at the door, so I'll give you a hug. Yeah. It's not like, I really want to give you a squeeze, you know, and they don't let you go. And another momentous thing that has happened, I went to my birth father's birthday party, and that was pretty much the first time I ever met him. I've had a random accidental FaceTime with him um, years before, but I went to this party, you see, and it was at the care home. I must tell you, it's so funny. So it was in a care home, and two people from his um, residence joined. I think the only two that could feed themselves were allowed to come to the party. And he's quite advanced Alzheimer's, yet he clung on to my hand for dear life and just smiled. And my siblings said, he picks up the vibe that you're like Nanny. You've got the same energy that she had. And he's probably just comforted, even if he doesn't know it's you. And that was really, really lovely. Um, and the two residents that came to the party, one of them was this African chap who had kind of a conspiracy theory attitude about him. He sort of said, well... You know, I've been telling them uh, it's going to take months. And I was giving him some food and I said, what's going to take months? He said, it is, it's going to take months. I said, yeah, I know you said that, but what is? And he said, clear up all this mess. And I went, yeah, you're probably right. And the other chap that was there, he bizarrely had the same facial expression as my dear dad and watched me the whole time smiling and I felt that he was there I felt my dad was there it was really weird and when he left the room he burst into tears and we were like oh my god what's, what's happened and he was saying you're all so warm you're all so lovely you know and I just thought yeah we are actually <laughs> we you know we are like this bubble of of warmth you know and one of my brother's baby mums she was there and she said Never think that you weren't discussed. You were around the table. Even mm. when you weren't there physically, you were around the table. You were discussed as, we'll find you one day. It's like, mm. wow, that is totally amazing. So do it, you know, because you, you really will, I think, put the pieces together. It's a jigsaw piece that if you don't find it, and even if you think you don't want to, when you do do it, it's amazing. Well, that's, a, that's a fantastic sort of point to end on, really. And I think that, yeah, I think we need to do everything we can to support adult adoptees to to join those links and reconnect yeah. where yeah. where they need to. Um, Rachel, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate uh, you giving your time link. over to me. <laughs> no, not at all. And putting up with the, you know, um, all the, the challenges of the internet and everything that we've had to face. Um, and certainly what, what we'll do is we'll, when your book is goes to Audible, we'll, we'll publish that as well again and we'll promote that as well. And if you can give me a link to that, that would be wonderful. Well, Love thank you that. so much, Rachel. Look after yourself. And you. Nice to see you. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.